Hello, and welcome to the Cocktails and Conversation podcast. I'm Dana Marie Rockmore, the founder of the Dinner Party Project and co-founder of The Welcome House. I'll be inviting intriguing guests over to my home to chat about some of my favorite things, cocktails, story, the Enneagram, and rest. Hey, friends. Welcome back. Thanks for listening in. Here we are. It is still, quote unquote, winter here in Florida. I am such a Florida woman. I am not kidding. This cold weather just, it's, I'm glad that we have it for a little time. And then I'm glad that it will be warm enough again. I do not want it to be hot by all means, but here we are. Um, I had the pleasure of interviewing the mayor of Winter Park. Phil Anderson has been mayor for almost a year now, and uh, I was excited to hear all the things that he was up to and how he got his start and how he landed in becoming, I mean, he was like, I want to be mayor of Winter Park. And then six months later, he was mayor. Spoiler alert. Um, so I think that you'll find his story endlessly fascinating. Um, so many ways of life to be lived. And so he has an incredible story to share. And he also, also spoiler alert, um, this is the first time this happened, but he was like, oh, I want to, I want to drink scotch for this podcast. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, and I've never kind of done that before, but he brought over four different types of scotches in the middle of the day. So I did a little bit of day drinking and then, um, ended, I ended up choosing a 12 year McAllen scotch whiskey. And so if you're in scotch, this is your episode. If you're not, you will learn a lot and it will be, uh, wonderful. So enjoy this uh, conversation, and hopefully you'll just pour yourself a little scotch while you listen. All right. Ciao. Great. Hey, Phil. Hi. Hi. Welcome to the Cocktails and Conversation podcast. Well, thank you very much. Thank Pleasure you for being here. here cheers. Salute. I don't even know. Probably not close <laughs> enough, but cheers. Whoa. Oh, we made it. Wow. We did. We, did. we made it. All right. Mm-mm-mm. So today we are... Drinking straight booze, which is um, a first for the podcast and a first not yeah. making a cocktail. So this is a always, you know, first experiences. Uh, usually I make a cocktail for my guests and we'll uh, chat about yeah. that and kind of how I made it and what I made and all that kind of stuff. But um, today you brought me a lovely, strong, stiff drink. <laughs> well, <laughs> so. actually... Uh I wasn't exactly sure how to start it out with, with the scotch, so we actually brought off... I brought four different you bottles. did. We tried a couple of them mm-hmm. and decided which one suited each of us for our moment. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think that's great. We actually chose two different things. We did choose two different things. Yeah. I usually ask people what is what is their favorite cocktail or what's their go-to drink and what, right. what is something at the end of the day that you'd like just like love to savor and enjoy. Mm-hmm. I love a cocktail for that. So I would assume yours is, is scotch. Ab- I could Ab- be less astray, but I, I, yes. You know, I stick with the same thing, but then there's all the variations. Okay. And so are you a creature of habit in general? Um, I don't No, actually, uh, there's a, 
a different mood or okay. a different flavor or something that, you know, you just, I just kind of look at the bottles on the shelf and I say, you know what, that's what I feel like tonight. Okay. And fair enough. that's what I would do. Right. And, uh, you know, for example, tonight I, I chose something that's a little bit spicy, but coastal and oily and, and, you uh, picked the smokiest. I've been there before. I've been to yes. in, uh, the Western coast of, Cal- of, uh, Scotland. And, uh, but it's a great little scotch and it's okay. kind of light, not too heavy. And, uh, sometimes I want to do a, you know, have a glass that's neat and mm-hmm. rich and sort of stirrupy, but other times you, know, you want something a little lighter and easier. And, where, where would you go for a lighter scotch? Tell me what your um, range is and how many you have. Well, we probably have, oh, I don't know, probably 15 or 15 to 30 bottles, but there's probably seven or eight that I kind of go to and depend on which mood, which mood I'm feeling. Fair enough. But uh, now the the other one we brought was the Glimmerangie Nectar Dior. And these are all available right on your local stores on Colonial. Okay. I won't mention a name unless you want me to. Fair enough. I mean, Total Wine's probably probably, the closest one to here, but. That's where we go. Okay. And, um, but no, it just depends on the range and, and um, the lighter scotches that are smoother, the Glenmorangie that we had earlier, mm-hmm. that, was, that was a Nectar Dior and that was pretty smooth and, and sort of light. Um, and then, of course, what I'm drinking is the Oban, which is a little a little more salty and spicy. And okay. what you're drinking is the McCallot, which yes, is rich and yes. syrupy and mm-hmm. it's distilled in the, the sherry barrels and some mm. little... Uh, fruity Fruitiness. In there. Yes. And then the last one, which neither of us selected yeah. for a five o'clock cocktail, <laughs> was a heavy peated one, you know, from Eli. Yes. That was the one that was smoky. Very yes. smoky. Yes. yes. Yeah. yeah. So it was peaty and smoky. And, I tasted and four before this, this uh, podcast, so it should be a very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> very, 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 very small <laughs> dram. A wee dram. A wee dram. A wee dram. Fair, yeah. month. Fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. And so you have actually been to Scotland. Yes. Once. We, um, you know, the, the family names are at roots there. And uh, I took the family, my, my, uh, two of my sons, my daughter-in-law, my daughter, all mm-hmm. went to Scotland about three or four years ago, pre-pandemic, of course. Fair enough. And uh, we just had a great time going around and, and enjoying being there, sampling a lot of different things, different foods, and a lot of different whiskeys. Interesting. And there's a lot of, uh, we traveled by bus and by boat and by uh, trains all over the place. That's so great, fun. Great. Tell me about Scottish food. What is, what, like, what care, <laughs> well, what, like. That's what you talk to. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of sausages, a lot of eggs. Okay. Um, and. Uh, so pretty heavy. Pretty dense. heavy, pretty, a lot of porridges. To and, soak uh, up all of this yeah, whiskey. Ash and, you know, it's, it's uh, I found it great. Okay. It was like going home. But uh, but some might find it a little high on the protein side. <laughs> it sounds like it. I feel like I'd want to probably like take a nap after eating, right? And right, drinking. Right, right. I mean, all those together. It's probably. pretty hearty food, you know. It's pretty hearty food. Yeah, it sounds like it. That's pretty amazing. But that sounds like an incredible trip. But the scenery was great. Um, you know, you realize that Scotland has so much history, but it also has a lot of coastal waters. Mm. And so we got to see a lot of the coastal water, and, and as well as the history in Edinburgh and other 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 great features. It was mm. great. And, and my sons, uh, they got to meet their clan chief. So that was pretty cool. That is pretty cool. You, know, you go back several, several hundred years and uh, 
We stumbled over one castle where uh, apparently a brief period in time, around uh, 1080, uh, their clan defended that castle. Of course, then they lost and, you know, had to move out of the country. But uh, but that's a different right. topic. <laughs> History is interesting. That's a whole other world. So, like, the other day I was thinking, like, oh most of my life is not centered around staying alive. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like in in that sense of like either an animal has to think about their main priority is just not being eaten by another animal or in times where, you know, um, tribes would come in and conquer other tribes or like, um, I know everyone's talking about this 1883 show where it's like the Oregon trail and then people are, I mean, they're trying to literally stay alive. And we, I, I'm like, I'm so thankful that that is not the area, the era that I was born into because it just sounds so much more stressful than my day. You know, like. What I, what I found really interesting is, you know, certainly the survival, but also the shifting politics and the shifting structures of power. Mm-hmm. When you really look at it over a 2000 year span of time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we went back to do a roots trip and we, we saw where um, their roots, our roots were in a couple of different places. And you realize that periods in time, you're at the top and periods of the time, you know, yeah. you're not. And uh, a lot of it led to, you know, immigration. And that's how we landed in the U.S. Mm-hmm. It's not, we certainly weren't on the top of the ship, you know. You immigrate because you're looking for a better life. Sure. And so it was really an interesting thing for my kids to connect how they came about living in the U.S. Mm-hmm. When they look at, you know, their roots. And they, they realize you, you really do get a sense of history and how things change. And Absolutely. Shift. It's pretty fascinating. And that informs even just how we can operate today and the gratitude mm-hmm. that we can have to know that like so much of what we have afforded to us was built on the backs of our ancestors. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And then here we are today. Yeah. Yeah. But, but <laughs> In it was our a great experience. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. I can only imagine. Um, we picked up a, a lot of pointers on good scotch and, you know, ways to go about tasting it and enjoying it. So sure. That was too. What was like one or two pointers that they gave you on tips of how to, I mean, besides <laughs> just, smelling it yeah. and then drinking it, but what, what's another tip? Of- you know, we, we would go up and they'd say, well, how are we supposed to enjoy it? The usual, the usual answer was, however you like, if you want to put water, ice, sure. whatever, just enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's what we did. You know, we did learn to look for a couple of aromas and okay. texture, a little bit of that. But mostly it was just about, you know, whatever you like, you know, enjoy it. Enjoy it. it. Absolutely. Great. Speaking of enjoying a drink, yes. uh, a little bit closer than Scotland <laughs> <laughs> in this area, um, where would be like maybe two, two or three places locally that you would like to grab a scotch or a drink or a meal in Winter Park? Orlando area? Um, well, as mayor, every restaurant inside the city limits of West of Winter Park is mm-hmm. my favorite, obviously. There we go. <laughs> obviously. Yes. Um, I guess this would be a somewhat dicey question. But. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but I have to tell you that uh, when my wife and I want to go out and just, you know, have something like maybe a, a cocktail at the bar. There's three or four places that we'd go. We'd probably go to Garp and Fuss. It's a local's place. Yeah, I keep on and hearing hidden, about this. Yeah, it's hidden in a little courtyard. Yeah. Uh, 
We kind on of really Park have been Avenue. nowhere to go. Yeah, it's just north on north on Park Avenue. Right. Um, you know, we'll go to uh, Blue or Three Ten mm-hmm. on the south side of Park Avenue, and then maybe we'll go over to Shake Henson over on New England. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, uh, and that's when we just want to sort of enjoy ourselves and sort of uh, be among friends. If we're going to get outside of Winter Park, um, my son used to be a bartender. Okay. used to be a back bar with the folks that are the bartenders at the guest house. Yes. And so if you're really looking for a great cocktail uh, with experts, that, that's a great place to go. Agreed. Um, but I will make a shameless plug. We I was privileged to be at the grand opening of AVA, A-V-A, mm-hmm. down on Park Avenue. And they had a Where fantastic uh, bar there, but I've only been there once. So we'll have to see sure. how, how that's going to progress. But I, I think it's going to be great. So. I went the night after, so oh, I, didn't go okay. to, I didn't go to the opening. Um, that was a lot. But, um, I mean, of course, it's, like, always exciting for something new to come, but it was bumping. <laughs> I mean, it was, I mean, it was like, so... Uh. It was pretty you packed. Know, the good news is there are a few more silver-haired guys there than, uh, than just me. Okay. You know, the guest house, that's a little different. You know, I walk in and I have the – for those of you that don't know, I have very, very, very gray slash silver hair. Yeah, fair and enough. So it, uh, it's sort of like – Sometimes it's nice okay, to mix things up. Go Right, exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Get in where you, where you fit in sometimes. But, yes, I think they're obviously going to do great. And everything was wonderful. That food, yeah. I don't know if you great. got some of the they, they taste. Did job. They did a great and, job. Uh, the partners um, were up from uh, South Miami. Southeast Florida. Yeah. And watching over the opening, and they did a great job. Yeah. We're, we're happy to have them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for those. Those Yeah, those are some good, good suggestions. We get the guest house a lot. A lot of people mention the guest house and the sunroom, which are very up there for me. Um, but I'll have to check out Garp and Fuss because I think I like I've heard, I keep on hearing about it. And do they uh, have cocktails there, or is it just they do? They, they do have a very okay. intimate bar with really actually some pretty good appetizers too. Okay. But uh, what got us to the guest house was my son was a back bar at a barbecue bar downtown. Oh yeah, I mean that must have been which was high intensity, a lot of fun, yeah. you know, high character. Um, they had the VW bus, the half of the VW bus posted up against the wall. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think a lot of people were sad to see it go, but but he learned a Definitely. lot. And then yes. a lot of the, you know, the, the people that started it up came out of that background. And so my son Evan said, okay, Dad, we're going to go down here for really, really good cocktails. Yeah. And that's how we found it. They don't do a lot of advertising, and it's not a big... It's not a big neon sign on the door. <laughs> I think their reputation their reputation precedes them. Mm-hmm. Um, what the I think the owner, the co-owner, is Ashley, and so she was um, on my podcast as well. Really? Yeah, so oh she's gosh. a friend of mine, oh and gosh. she's incredibly talented at what she does. But she put a lot of hard work into barbecue bar and into the guest house, and now the sunroom. Which is the sister bar right next door? But yeah, that's they make, cool. they know how to make a mean cocktail over there for sure. Right. So it's nice that you had that in the family. Yeah. 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 Well, Evan loved his time there, and uh, and yeah, it was a great intro. Yeah, I bet that's amazing. So uh, we're going to move on to story, which is my one of my favorite parts about. <laughs> uh, so I 
running the dinner party project is so fun to be able to hear people's story around the dinner table. And uh, there's so many incredible people in central Florida that are doing things and have, um, you know, like understanding how they got to the positions that they are. Sometimes you kind of just know like, Oh, they're the owner of this or they have done this, but then the reality of like what brought them to those Uh, places and the story that happens and the hard work and all the things that go into making, making things happen. But I would love to know um, your story. I, I kind of find that, I personally believe that we don't really get much choice of where we're placed in the universe. And so we're just plopped down here. And then like the rest of us, we're all trying to figure it out as we go. Um, But I would love to know kind of like in your early years, like where were you born? What was your family of origin like? Like zero through five? What was like Phil's Uh, experience? Well, um, you know, we'll we'll start there. Uh, I, I will... I'll pause and go to the end and then we'll step back. Okay. You know, you you introduced me as the mayor of Winter Park, which I am. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, so it's, it's interesting that I, you know, I found my way down to Orlando back in 1998, but, uh, uh, came down to help run a company and run a, and we sold that company and then we co-founded another company and then I retired, or at least I thought I retired. Fair enough. And then that's when I ended up, jumping back into, you know, local politics and how I became here, uh, running into local politics. But going back a lot farther, <laughs> um, I actually grew up in Manila, Philippines. Oh, and, okay. Uh, so I, uh, I was, we were talking earlier, you've got these wonderful cotton balls on your, your table decorations. Mm-hmm. And I was noting, well, my, my deep, deep family roots go to northern Alabama. Okay. And uh, my mom and dad still live up there. In fact, I bought back my uh, grandfather's fishing cabin on the Tennessee River. And so we could still get up there. But we would drive, you know, drive, leave Florence and, uh, you know, there'd be fields full of cotton. And I'll remember getting out of the cars and going over there and seeing the cotton in the field, picking up just to have something interesting. So when you had it on the tabletop, I thought that was amazing. It's like, whoa, she did a lot of prep. Very, very, very <laughs> dialed into your story. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. But along the way, uh, my mom and dad are uh, Southern Baptist missionaries. Mm. And so we ended up moving to Manila, Philippines when I was, well, actually, I had my fifth birthday on the President Roosevelt Ocean Liner on the way to um, Manila from uh, Los Angeles. Okay. And uh, ended up growing up in Manila. Um, you know, we had and your great, great dad life. was in, a, in the armed forces or? No, that, my dad went over as a music missionary for the okay. Southern Baptist. Right. Okay. And, um, and then he ended up heading up the television and radio programming and later became treasurer. But, you know, his path was not the normal preaching path. Sure. But uh, but we grew up. We had a great childhood. Um, you know, we were. Um, it was a. It's a very very friendly country, mm-hmm. and you know, it was basically a, a, an American colony back in the late well, turn of the century, the nineteen hundreds. Okay. And so, just about everyone in the Philippines spoke English. So it was great being in an exotic place where you could communicate really, really well. Mm. And so it was just a wonderful, you know, we had two seasons. We had hot and dry, 
and we had hot and wet. Right. Which makes Orlando seem like home. Palpable. You know, <laughs> right. And uh, Winter Park. And it's just, uh, but that's how we grew up. You know, we grew up swimming on, you know, Christmas Day wow. and going to see the coral reefs and being in the middle of, at that time, in the mid-60s, there were, I think, five million people in Manila. And today it's much larger. Sure. But you end up growing up seeing all kinds of different culture mm-hmm. and levels of, of wealth and levels of need. And, um, you know, I think being privileged to grow up overseas in a, in a country that you get to see everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally everything. Um, it's, uh, it gives you a really good perspective on life. It gives you a great perspective on the U.S. Mm. And, um, you know, probably had a pretty big bearing on ultimately me choosing to go into, you know, local politics. is because you have this foundation of, of uh, a very, very broad economy and, you know, broad population. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but anyway, so we went there. We came back. Went to high school in uh, in Birmingham in Vestavia Hills. So in so you were how long did you live in the Philippines? Uh, we lived there until I came back, basically for high school. Okay. So uh, so what were you kind of like in like middle school? Like <laughs> did you go to like an international school? Like we what did. was we, that? What we was had that? a uh, international English speaking school. Okay. And uh, a lot of. People that were in the embassy and other, you know, Americans that were really expats. Um, And and also people that were there from India and China and a real melting pot, but mostly Americans. And, um, you know, it was, uh, you know, it was hot, no air conditioning and really, really good foundations and education. Um, You know, we got a really good basic, you know, reading, math, arithmetic, history, uh, all those kinds of things. Great foundation, good school system, and was I think everybody that came out of that school was very well prepared for college. Okay. And so, did you have any connections that you had kept up from living in the Philippines? Yeah, I wish I could say I did, but right. uh, you know, Jeffrey Tillman and Matt Teeson, I don't know where they are today. <laughs> what I do know is we used to sit at the uh, at the playground when we were reading The Hobbit and you know uh, the the Ring trilogy back when mm-hmm. we were in sixth grade, you know, mm-hmm. comparing notes and mm-hmm. so. Uh, but do you I have any favorite uh, Philippine dishes? Chicken adobo. Okay. Chicken adobo and pancit are great. Uh, Filipino dishes. Right. You got to like garlic for either one. Ooh, I love garlic. <laughs> so, I, l- I um, had garlic and, for lunch. And with the adobo, yes. it's a lot of garlic and vinegar. Mm. And so, sign it, me up. It, it, it's, it's great. It's Did great. you know they're opening a, a Filipino restaurant called Kaya? In Orlando, it's uh-huh. um, where, I don't know if you remember Dandelion Cafe. Well, I um, remember Dandelion. Yeah. You remember Dandelion. So Dandelion, that spot, is open. The guys that do Cadence yeah. are opening up um, a Filipino restaurant oh called Oh, my gosh. Well, I'll get that note from you at the yes. end. Yes. I was I, just talking I, about it this weekend. I'm very much looking forward to it. Yeah, I can't do it justice, but uh, I love it. Did yeah. you eat a lot of lumpia? Lumpia, yes, I love lumpia. Uh-huh. Yeah. Same yeah. here. Oh yeah, with the uh, really thin, thin pastry around seasoned beef, and oh, mm-hmm. it's really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I 
definitely love Filipino food. Wow. Yes. And traveling. But I've never been there, but I've always, it's one of those. It's really, you know, the people are so, so nice. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, it was a great place to grow up. I bet. You know, Um, and, you know, they still, uh, there's still a little remnants of World War Two and sure. all those kinds of memorials around Manila which are which are fascinating. Again, pretty humbling. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was one time where we had a, a vacant lot across the street from our house in our neighborhood and I was probably ten years old and, and um Mom and Dad came driving back and I came running out and I said, Mommy, mommy, look what I've got, look what I've got and up in my hand I had found an unexploded World War II Oof. U.S. hand grenade. <laughs> yeah. Now, good news is, of course, you know, it was 30 or 40 years old at that time. But uh, mom and dad quickly uh, confiscated that. We didn't get to play with sure. it much after that. Yeah. Fair but, enough. Uh, Tear and safety. So you returned to Alabama in time for high school. Right. And then, like, so who, like, who are you forming to be? Are you the extrovert? Are you introvert? Are you studious? Are you slacking uh, off? Are you skipping school? Are you? No, no, no. What, no. Who is, I'm, who is I'm, Phil uh, developing into in in the the high school years? Well, I think uh, yeah, we're, we'll talk about the character traits and all that kind of thing. But I'm a very <laughs> well established introvert who gets borderline extroverted on occasion. Okay. So I just cross that border every now and then. Sure. And uh, we'll talk more about that later. Yeah. I I was definitely um, studious. I uh, did really well in high school, mainly along math and and science, ultimately became a civil engineer, which uh, took me from, you know, high school over to Georgia Tech. Okay. But, um, you know, I uh, actually graduated as valedictorian. And uh, this is weird, but I was actually elected most likely to succeed. And so not surprising. We, uh, we uh, you know, the uh, that worked really well, and uh, you know, got out of high school and had a, a great time there. In fact, went back to my fortieth reunion a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. You know, let me make that a year or two ago. <laughs> but, uh, I went back to my fraternity reunion about two weeks ago. But um, um, no, it was a great school. It was a very, very strong uh, academic school, uh, great prep for college. But um, you know, for those of you that grow up in Alabama, on your birth certificate, there's two boxes. And one box says Auburn fan and the other box uh, says Alabama, Alabama fan. Okay. And I knew I was going to be an engineer, okay. but I also knew that I was an Alabama fan. And so I could not go to Auburn, oh. which I had a really good engineering school. Sure. And up going is this from your family, like coming down the family lineage of, uh, of being much, an Alabama you know, fan? Northern Alabama. Okay. Be, it's kind of like the uh, Cubs-White Sox. I, I have Chicago. friends that are in this dichotomy, and I'm like, I mean, I don't have a, I don't have skin <laughs> in the game, but it is very serious. It's a serious thing. It's serious, my, right, yeah. My sister and two brothers went to Alabama, a bunch of uh, nieces and nephews, and uh, and you didn't want to go there because you wanted to go to well, a better I, engineering school? Right. Okay. Alabama is great for certain things, but engineering, um, you know, it was between Purdue and MIT and Georgia Tech. So I, okay. I, I, let's, let's go to Georgia Tech. A little bit closer to home-ish. Yeah. Yeah. And warmer. Warmer. So. God bless. I don't know. We, I mean, even this morning was in the 40s, and I I just don't. This is not my <laughs> – I don't know how people do a real winter. Like, I'm glad for a little bit of cold, but uh, in the MIT, like, that's, like, pretty intense 
Yeah, so we, uh, you know, we said that wasn't going to be the right place, but uh, went to Georgia Tech, uh, ended up uh, being a co-op. So you're asking about things that sort of form your life. Yeah. So um, what's that? You know, we uh, you work every other quarter. Back then it was quarters. So mm-hmm. I'd go to school a quarter, and then go to work for a quarter, and then go to school a quarter. So it takes a little longer to get through, but okay. you end up being able to basically afford to pay your way through school. And ah, so I, I ended up getting a Got lot it. of work experience while I was going to Georgia Tech. And uh, did you uh, work for Georgia Tech or just in an industry no, I worked, around? Uh, I worked for Alabama and Georgia Power Company. Okay. We were building uh, power plants out, you know, outside of Birmingham and out, uh, outside of Augusta, Georgia. Okay. And so I was a co-op student and uh, working with the power company and going out to power plants under construction. I'm really a, uh, um, the people that know me really, really well, they really see a guy in muddy boots and a hard hat. That's really ah, my personal identity. Is, okay. uh, muddy boots and a hard hat. <laughs> and uh, somehow I uh, I went to the dark side of finance and, um, you know, running different companies along the way. But uh, So you went from civil engineering to finance? Um, well, I was a civil engineer running really running construction projects for first the power company and then for the Hyatt Hotel Company. Okay. So I went to build a few Hyatt hotels, uh, worked on a, built a hotel in Atlanta. And this is after you graduated. This is after I graduated. So I got out of Georgia Tech and and went to work as really a construction engineer, um, building Hyatt hotels and and power plants. And um, along the way, you know, this is a case where, you know, when you make career changes, you either do the same kind of work in a different industry mm-hmm. or you stay in the industry and change the kind of work you do. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, your path sort of follows an industry path or an expertise path. And um, it's like a square. If you like to think of like four squares and you're starting in the bottom left hand corner. You can go to the right in the industry or you mm-hmm. go to the up to the top in your skill set. But if you want to change what you do and which industries, you got to go one path or the other before you can leap over that top right box. Sure. And that's kind of the way my, my work kind of changed. I started out got in it. construction, uh, hotels, ended up doing development for, um, I was in the right place at the right time when the, Pritzker family and the Hyatt Hotel Company started out building high-end retirement communities across the country. Okay. So I ended up leading that real estate effort. And so, um, but really on the real estate and construction side. And um, And you had gone back to Alabama at this point? or No, I was living in Atlanta and then I lived in Chicago for 13 years. Also very cold. (laughs) At yeah. times, at parts of the year. Yeah, so this is about where we connect the dots to how I got to Orlando yeah. after 13 years in Chicago, uh, working for the the Hyatt Corporation. Okay, uh, we got a knock. Uh, I got a knock on the door, and uh, a company out of Orlando was looking for someone to help them start up a company that did real estate and retirement communities. And this would be they did place. a lot of real estate, but they didn't have anybody that did retirement communities, and um, the CNL organization found me uh-huh. through some mutual friends, uh-huh. and um, forever thankful for 
them giving me a, a great opportunity to move back into warm weather. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're pretty sly. They know to recruit in October, November. And so they knocked on my door mm-hmm. one cold winter day in mm-hmm. Chicago. And mm-hmm. Orlando sounded really, really good. <laughs> right. As you're putting on like multiple layers and oh, a scarf yeah. too. You know, your fantasy catalog, as I was, on, I was a commuter, I'd get on the train and commute into the city. But as right. a community, your your fantasy catalog is the yellow bean catalog. You know, can what what's the heavier coat that I can buy? Yeah. While I'm waiting out here on the train station. <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah. yeah. But uh, uh-huh. we did that for a lot of a lot of years, and uh, had two sons in uh, Chicago, uh, up in a little town called Barrington, okay. uh, northwest corner of the Chicago metro area. Okay. But uh, but. The knock came about the time that we'd had enough snow shoveling, and uh, I came down to... Uh, so Orlando sounded real came good. Down to Orlando sounded great. Um, I asked uh, uh, the, the head of CNL's assistant to put me up at a bed and breakfast because okay. I've done a lot of Hyatt hotels. You know, great hotels, you know, but I wanted something a little homey. Okay. And um, she put me up at the Park Plaza Hotel on Park Avenue. Mm-hmm. And I came down, that was in 1998, and um, basically fell in love with Winter Park mm-hmm. because of that. It wasn't what I was expecting. Yeah. And uh, I haven't lived outside of Winter Park since. So when you relocate, you did relocate to Winter Park. Okay. That's right. That's Got right. it. We, uh, I've lived in, we've had, Four different homes, I guess, at different places within Winter Park, but all oh. inside. Uh, okay. All inside the city. In home, about city twenty-four years. Twenty. Uh, that's close. Yeah, twenty-four years. Yeah. I moved here in two thousand, so I was mm-hmm. a little bit right behind you. Right. But yeah. So it's yeah. been been quite a while. But it's been a great experience. Sure. You know, the uh, our, our I remarried sixteen years ago. Uh, we now have uh, a blended family of mm-hmm. four fantastic kids. I had two boys. My wife had two girls. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like a little mini Brady Bunch that came together. Right. And uh, they are they are fantastic. They kind of every all but one have sort of you know flown the coop, so to speak. Uh, landed in different places in Philly and mm-hmm. Bozeman, Montana, okay. and Houston, and one. Uh, one is here still in uh, Baldwin Park. Yes. yes. She's also been on the podcast. That's right. That's right. That's right. Well, the Im- the infamous. A- <laughs> <laughs> Notorious. <laughs> so I didn't have girls. Uh, my two daughters were 13 and 12 when mm-hmm. I remarried. And it was my first time to ever really have daughters. And uh, What a volatile what- age. I, I mean, for me, it was, but man, it was such a great, great thing. I can't, you know, I, I love the fact that I have two sons mm-hmm. and I got to have, yeah, you know, two uh, two stepdaughters along the way too. Mm-hmm. It's very different. Yeah, so your boys were here for a while in, in all four kids went through Park Maitland together. Okay. So they actually knew each other before my wife and I knew each other. <laughs> so when we started dating, um, they actually had already discussed all this and kind of knew about it. Sure. Well in advance. So it was good. What a wild world. 
yeah, to live in. It's been great. I and, can uh, only imagine. Uh, but we've got a great, um, very good modern family. Mm-hmm. All of the extended family are still very much in the picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all get along well. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's just really been a, it's been a good, you know, 22 year time. Period. Yeah. So you landed here 22 years ago and then you were still in your career in a sense of like being, a, being uh, in finance and not right. in construction anymore. You kind of. Well, you know, we, uh, I was the chief operating officer, which meant I ran investments and some of our investments were construction okay. investments. So there's a little bit of construction, but mostly it was about um, making the investment decisions and, you know, running the property. Looking at the numbers. Yeah. Yes. So we ended up uh, at CNL. Um, we ended up buying about, let's see, I think it was 280 properties over a few years. And that's a lot. That company. Um, <laughs> we sold that company. I went through my non-compete, which was the first time I ran for city commission at Winter Park. Okay. Through my non-compete. I told one too many people that, you know, I had a non-compete. They said, well, great. We've got a job for you. <laughs> and I'm running for city commissioner and uh, served from 2008 to 2011. Okay. And um, then went on with some other formal partner, former partners and started up another company. And uh, we just... I retired from that company at the end of 2020. Oh, and, wow. Um, so fairly recently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we ended up uh, affiliating with a very large, a, a larger company. And in, I guess, no July of last year, that company listed on the New York Stock Exchange. Wow. And, uh, if you, All right. Uh, there's a company out there called Bridge, B-R-D-G. Okay. And uh, my, my partners here in Orlando, uh, we ran the senior housing side of things, but the bigger company also does a lot of other things. And we rolled up our company into their company uh, just before we listed. All right. So. I mean, congratulations, right? Oh, yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's great. I bet. And, uh, you know, it's, a, it's it's been a really, really good experience. But I went from a construction guy with a hard hat and muddy boots mm-hmm. to more of a finance kind of person sure, and, um, you know, running, running, you know, partnering with some great people and run a few other companies. It's amazing. It's that finance is like such a huge pillar of any business to make sure it's running smoothly and properly. And the foresight that you have to know of like, I mean, I can't even, you said 280 properties. I can't even imagine I mean, that takes a lot of foresight to be able to know successfully how how and when and where and how much do we have to be able to. We had a great team. And, you know, what you learn is you you sort of you have your own rule book, your playbook on mm-hmm. what you know, and you try not to get too far out of what you know. Stay in your lane. <laughs> and then you just check to make sure that most of those elements that about what you know are being followed out there and you, mm-hmm. you've got a good team that knows how to tweak things and, and change them. And, and you have enough successes to offset the, the few failures along the way. And uh, you always are going to have mm-hmm. deals or projects or investments that don't work, but um, Par for the course. But you really have to strive to make sure that mm. they're, you know, you got far more that did work <laughs> than the ones that didn't. Fair enough. Um, 
we'll get into the Enneagram stuff and the stri- you know, striving for perfection. <laughs> but uh, along the way, you realize that, um, you know, some things are, got, are not going to work despite your best efforts. Mm-hmm. But hopefully the averages, yeah. you, know, you do things and the averages are in your favor. Fail fast. It's one thing that I've kind of learned. That's Figure true. out what's not working. And I mean, right. there's no person that's going to know. In yeah. A lot of truth is yeah. knowing when to cut the cord. And, cut your and losses cut and keep on moving on. Yep. There's no human or businesses that's never right. going to make a mistake or never going to know. Sometimes things are out of your control, even though you try the best or have tried to foresee the best that you can or, you mm-hmm. know, try different concepts that work or that don't work. The faster you know they don't work, the faster you can (laughs) (laughs) turn around or make something else happen. So how did that kind of, where was the road? How did you land in this past election to win the mayor of Winter Park? I mean, how did that Um, happen? And was that always something that you felt like you wanted or you you kind of um, ended up with? The... uh, I think there are times in your life when you feel like you're the right person in the right moment okay. to um, represent a broad group of people that have, you know, passions and feelings about the direction or uh, the goals that the city should follow. Mm-hmm. And that's really more what it was. It was I had re- just retired. I had the time and the ability to do it. Retired um, in 2020? Retired in 2020. Okay. And, um, um, you know, and, and there were some things going on in Winter Park that uh, a few people, um, well, apparently a lot of people thought might, we should do things a little differently. And uh, I was probably the right person with a great background in real estate. Um, you know, I, I think it probably helps a little bit that, you know, my parents were in service in their own way. Mm. And, um and uh, you just had to, you just had the time to do it. I just had the time to do it, and I had the passion to do it. And um, you know, I, I've I spoke to some folks at uh, the Chamber of Commerce recently, uh, who's doing a great job with their Leadership Winter Park program. And uh, we talked about government, and we talked about what it takes to be elected. And, and part of it is that there has to be a fire in your belly. You know, there's got to be some reason. It feels grueling to like run for anything. That you you got to know the purpose of why you're doing what you're doing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And and it's uh, and you know, for me, I wanted to uh, bring some. You know, as a real estate guy, you 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 know what makes real estate tick, mm. and um, and as someone that loves history and heritage, you know, you want to you know, combine that with a passion for the history and heritage, particularly what Winter Park had. Mm-hmm. And I felt that I could bring that blend together and, um, and, and do that. And I felt that I could do it well. And I felt like uh, that's really what a lot of the residents in Winter Park wanted to see. And, um, you know, so you start campaigning and you start mm-hmm. meeting people. And for an introvert, it's, uh, you know, you got to get out there a little bit. You got to push your envelope. Um, but um, but it was a really, it's a really good experience. And the other thing I shared is that um, whenever you run for election, there's so many people you meet, you get pushed out of your comfort zone, sure. out of your normal sphere. And in Winter Park, it's a ground game. 
you're knocking on doors, you're shaking hands, you're seeing people in the grocery store. I feel like Winter Park is so interconnected. Yeah. You know, like there's... Well, it's manageable. Interact, right? It's manageable. And, if, you're, if you're in the county, that's hard. If you're in the state, it's hard. If you're in the federal level, it's hard. Winter Park is face-to-face. But at the, at the real local grassroots political world... You really, you're talking to your neighbors, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's personal and it's, yeah. and it's can be passionate and can be real, but, but you meet so many people. And to this day, um, you know, we have so many friend friendships that came out of that first run back mm-hmm. in 2008 and more that came out of this run. And, um, um, for some people, I think it's a great opportunity. For me, it's been a fantastic opportunity. You know, I I built most of my social world around my business, our businesses, which you know we we you know I probably have been involved in five hundred different investments in 40, 42, 43 different states. And in all of those years, only two of those investments were in Orlando. Oh, wow. So, you know, it was a business career that didn't revolve around, you know, the local Expand area. Expand the all of the U.S. Yeah. USA. Yeah. yeah. And uh, but uh, but when you when you jump into the local politics, uh, for me, it was fantastic. And it still is. And, okay. and um, you know, I. I uh, no. So we'll talk about, about all this stuff later, <laughs> but uh, as a guy, you know, I actually uh, keep a lot of lists. I do a lot of goal setting. Fair enough. But uh, I use this quote. I carry around a list of quotes with me, and I used this quote a couple of days ago, but it's, freedom is hammered out on the anvil of discussion, dissent, and debate mm. by Hubert Humphrey. And let me just tell you, in Winter Park, we get a lot of freedom. We do a lot of dissent, we get a lot of debate, and we get a lot of discussion. Mm. And uh, so, it's and how beautiful great, it is to have that in a, in a civil way. It really is, and and I think that it's been tough to see in the last lot of years. But the the capacity for civil discussion, I think, has gotten a lot harder, and especially with social media, and that being, I feel like, such a sometimes messy place to have have a civil discussion, but we need, we need to have spaces that we feel comfortable enough to be able to, right. right? Be able to say we have, we have differing opinions and, and I, how can we still I feel like we're getting get along. that and mm-hmm. we're getting civility in the way we talk about things in Lunar Park. I mm-hmm. actually do feel it. Um, we, um, you know, I hope that what is happening is the tone is coming. The tone that we're setting is something that we'll listen, we'll hear, and kind of incorporate, maybe not always agree, but right. at least allow people to be heard. And, um, yeah. you know, throughout everything that I've ever been involved in, you know, with companies and managing people, you're never going to get everybody to agree, but if they can at least be heard, now you do all these brainstorming sessions and you do strategic planning and corporations and um, you may not, you may, you're, you're going to end up going a certain direction and leadership generally takes you in a certain direction. 
But if everybody's had their moment at the mic and they know that they've been hurt Mm -hmm. and that they know that their points have either been assimilated or considered, you end up being able to move the ship in one, one direction. And I, I, I feel like that's, that's the tone that we're trying to set Mm -hmm. is we may not, may not all agree, but everybody's going to get heard. Everybody's going to get considered. Mm-hmm. We're going to have discussion. Um, you know, I get criticized, not criticized, but, you know, there, I get joked that uh, Phil took a three-hour meeting and turned it into a five-hour meeting. And part of the reason is mm-hmm. we we talk a lot and we really put the issues out. And uh, it's not for everybody, but, but I think it works well. Mm-hmm. Giving space for people to be heard, I think, is incredibly important and honoring right mm-hmm. in having that conversation right. um what has been so you decided to maybe I'm sorry. sorry for what no i felt like i got into the you know the political oh yeah i gotta go i gotta do the political thing oh uh, yeah you know? no that's what we're here for so you started to think about running in 2020 mm-hmm. and then you were elected mayor in 2021 mm-hmm. so that's pretty quick um, well, our elections are in uh, twenty in March. So, what our city elections are in March. So, the, I won in the March two thousand twenty one election. So, we started right. campaigning toward the late the end of two thousand twenty. So, about six months of campaigning. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It just seems very short in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I think no. I'm going to be mayor six months later. Your mayor of Winterburg, right. but. Yeah. Well, yeah, um, but you know, you start really getting engaged, and, and what you find is people are busy. You know, they're living their lives; they don't have time to really um, examine everything that's going on. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, I think they're hoping that the people that they vote for are feeling passionate about whichever side of it, mm-hmm. something that they feel about, and that uh, they can relate to. But uh, but you get into, you know, we got engaged in uh, pre-politics, I guess, you know, before that. Because you've been city commissioner since 2008 or? 2008 or to 2011. Run. Okay. Then in 2011-12, um, my uh, local partners and I started up another company. Actually, it was 2013. Okay. And uh, that's the company that we just got through merging and then listening. Um, but uh, so I had a long break between that period of service and this period. Got it. So, okay. But I had I had done the work before, so it wasn't um, totally. It's always the game. harder than you remember. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, but I kind of knew what to expect. Fair but enough. No, you you uh, you literally walk around knocking on doors, cold calling introducing yourself to folks, um, you know, putting yourself out there and mailers and emails and videos and, and all of that kind of thing. And, um, as an introvert, is that not very exhausting? It absolutely is exhausting. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, uh, but you know, you, you, uh, when you feel like you have a duty or a mission, it, it flows. Mm. And, uh, but as an introvert, putting the first foot forward in 2008, 
when I first started knocking on doors, I would literally sit in the car for 15 minutes, psyching myself up to open up the car door and go knock on that first door. Sure. And then you go down and you start knocking and then you start. And this is the magic. You start hearing people's story and, uh, you know, you start hearing what they care about and you start learning about the people that live in your city. Mm. And, um, you know, it fills you with um, humility and, and pride, um, you know, but you start, you know, you learn about the guy that uh, served in World War II. And, you know, you learn about his story, uh, you know, coming down on an aircraft carrier. You learn about the little the little house that successfully raised, you know, seven or eight kids coming out of what had to be a two-bedroom house. And they've all gone off and done their own thing. Um, you know, you, you hear about the potholes and, you know, mm-hmm. why didn't we get the signs <laughs> with the peacocks on them? And when we, you know, annexed in and, you know, you hear about... Um, you just get a lot of really personal contact. Uh, and, and that was, but as an introvert, it's not the kind of thing that an introvert would normally step out for, sure. but for a good reason. Right. And what I found was it was a great reason. Mm. So This episode of Cocktails and Conversation is brought to you by The Dinner Party Project. The Dinner Party Project is all about connecting humans around the dinner table. Right now, we are mostly based in Orlando, Florida. Whether it's joining seven strangers in an intimate setting around a dinner table or sitting in the street of Orange Avenue with 100 others watching flamethrowers, we love helping people feel connected to others and their city. We also offer private parties. So if you have a birthday, anniversary, team building dinner, or corporate event coming up, we can create a custom memorable event that you and your guests won't soon forget. We also help brands connect with their consumers by exposing their product in an elevated way to their target demographic. So if you live in the Orlando area and haven't joined us yet, what are you waiting for? We can't wait to hear your story around the dinner table. For more information, you can visit us at thedinnerpartyproject.co. So since being mayor, what are some things that have been of interest to you or that you've learned? Have you learned anything about yourself, about your city, new things being in Winter Park? Like, have you accomplished things, anything that you had wanted to? I mean, it's almost a year, I guess, since last March. That's absolutely right. So what has been this kind of year been like for you? Well, um, I'll tell you the two two or three things that I'm really, really excited about. Mm -hmm. So for those of you that know Orange Avenue and you know Foxtails, the coffee shop on Orange Avenue, that section of Orange Avenue, and you go to a place where it intersects with Denning, Denning Road, um, there's been this really decrepit corner with an ugly old building there for 15 years. Um, It used to call it Progress Point. Um, In the last two weeks, because of efforts that we put in place beginning a year ago, you've seen seven 24-inch diameter live oak trees transplanted. Mm-hmm. And it's the beginnings of mm-hmm. a brand new urban park in Winter Park. Oh, beautiful. 
And if you drive by there, if you go by Foxtails right now, you'll see they're still there. They're still, you know, there's there's bare dirt, but you're beginning to see where those trees are coming in. And uh, I'll tell you, the, the, it's an interesting thing because you look at them and you say, holy cow, our team, our staff, this commission, a lot of other people made this happen. And this is going to be around for 200 years. Every building that you ever built is going to be gone in 200 years. But these live oaks, they could be there. And so you've started, you've done something that is really permanent, Mm -hmm. more permanent than anything that we could build. And uh, so that's a real, you know, real point of pride. Yes. Um, Does that have a name? The park? Uh, you know, we keep calling it Progress Point. We keep thinking, well, is there a better name? But we haven't come up with a name yet. So for the moment, it's called Progress Point. Okay. Um, but um, so that's one thing. You know, that's that's the joyful, soulful part of seeing something that, you know, you had a hand in mm-hmm. uh, that's going to make a difference for a lot of people for a long time. Yeah. Um, and the other one is a little more mundane. You know, we, uh, as a corporate executive, we uh, we actually did goal setting in March of last year. And um, so, you know, we got elections coming up March 8th. It was a great time to check to see how we performed against our goals. Mm-hmm. And we actually have done very, very well. We put some development guidelines in place for Orange Avenue, um, we did start something called a uh, long-term strategic investment plan. As an engineer, you know, I love this, but we actually said, well, you know, let's look at everything we'd love to do in the city over the next five years. Mm-hmm. That's great. Now, that's where the politics are. You argue over who gets what dollars through which of those projects. So but does the, do a, the final like decision come down to you? No, we, we have a... Uh, we act like more like a board of directors. So the okay. five commissioners, four commissioners, and the mayor will vote on how the money is allocated. So our team, our five-person team. Do you get to veto anything? I mean, what's like, what's the... <laughs> no, that would have worked. Everything that would have worked is persuasion and discussion. We have a fantastic uh, you know, city staff. We have a city manager form of government. So in Orlando, you have a strong mayor form of government. Mm -hmm. So Mayor Dyer and Mayor Demings in Orange County, they have a lot of sole authority to make decisions. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they are the person that all of the thousands of employees ultimately, you know, report to. Mm -hmm. And a city manager government is very different. Uh, there's a city manager who is a very professional person, and he's like the uh, he's really like the CEO of a company. So everybody in the city reports up to Randy Knight, our city manager. So the the commission is almost more like a board of directors. So I I'm more like the chairman of the board, and then we have four board members, and that's the way. You know, Winter Park works. Okay. Um, so we make all of the policy decisions. We make the decisions about changing our regulations and our our laws and ordinances, and we make decisions about resources. You know, so you have a lot of 
What's the priority? Yeah. You know, who's got the priority? But nothing, none of those priorities happen unless there's a dollar tied to it. Mm-hmm. And so we're the ones that make sure you know those dollars get tied, whether it's through the budget approvals or whether it's through a um, investment plan. Okay. And so one of the sort of wonky things that we got that we put in place this year was a five-year and a 25-year investment strategy for our park. And so there are a lot of things we'd love to do. We don't know where the funds might come from over the next five years, but we don't want to give up on them and we don't want to forget about them. And so we put them into mm-hmm. that 25-year plan. And interestingly, we're now in a place where, um, you know, we've got these infrastructure bills happening you're, you're, you're getting a lot more politics yeah, than I think it's is all normal. Good. <laughs> but, but, but my point is, is that... Giving us some education. But we, uh, you know, the federal government has allocated a couple of trillion dollars for infrastructure. Sure. And so what, this, what we did is we set our goals. We looked at our five-year goals, our 25-year goals, and knock on wood, we're hopeful that we can find some grants to get those 25-year projects accelerated. Um, so. so a lot of it is about kind of the legacy in building out, obviously in 25 years, you're not going to be the mayor, but like right. having those, um, future right. healthy, livable community goals. Right. And doing it in a way, whether, whether you agree with, uh, with my personal opinion or not, it's a menu. And so once you put these things on a menu, now you can have a real mm. debate and mm-hmm. discussion. You can dissent. You can agree. But you put it in a safe place to have that kind of a discussion. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I hope that that's something that will continue, you know, long after I leave. Um, but uh, so those are the two. There's sort of two very different feelings of uh, what have you done and, you know, one thing is, gosh, we got some great trees planted for the next 200 years. Mm-hmm. And number two is, uh, you know, I hopefully put a framework in for getting more things done over the next 25 years. Yeah. Those are some beautiful places to land in a year. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there's, a, there's a lot of other things. We survived COVID. You know, we, <sighs> we uh, allocated uh, government money. Uh, over a million four to our nonprofits. Uh, we made sure that our library opened spectacularly mm. in spite of financial challenges. So mm. we allocated over a million eight to go into our library uh, funding so that it, it gets the absolute best start that it can in its new facility. I've driven past there so many times and then I wasn't able to go to the opening and then I wasn't able, and then I just have been like meaning to make it inside, but it looks so gorgeous and I love the, the architecture and looks stunning and I can't wait to visit it sometime and, and get the I would cool. encourage everybody to go up and take yes. a look. I, I will tell you, looks it amazing. ignites passions mm-hmm. on you know, it's like art. It it's is like, like a art. Lot of like art. It's I mean, that building is like art. Exactly. Like, it is. Absolutely. And it ignites passions. Yes. And some people are passionate about uh, how much they like it. Some mm-hmm. people are passionate about uh, <laughs> uh, maybe not so much. Right. And, uh, but it, it's, 
it's not something that you're going to be neutral about. No. And that's what I have found is that it it incites it invites conversation. Mm. And uh, I am such a huge library nerd. I will just tell you this: uh, like I love the library so much. I love our downtown. Uh, obviously, I live in Orange County and then in Orlando, so I have a, a library card. And I am an avid. I have library books in my in my room, and I am such a proponent of the library and the reading and um, just what a. When you say that you've traveled, you know the world, and you know I've been able to travel some places as well. And so when you see places that would not have a library afforded to them, and yeah. just the reality of not being able, like you get to go for free to a place and check out books. As many as you want throughout the year, like it is such a, as such a honor and such a um, it is luxury to be able to have a be and and for uh, I love Orlando investing in in the libraries that we have and for the library system in Winter Park and how incredibly important it is to be able to have those resources and that knowledge available yeah. to you. Like I have cookbooks that I you know I'm a huge you know fiction. Uh, reader and uh, you know some nonfiction and and so what kind of nonfiction do you tend towards? Um, probably some historical things and mm-hmm. then um, nonfiction. I love a lot of writers like Brene Brown and Sean Nyquist and um, uh, the guy that wrote Blue Light Jazz, Donna Miller. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, so, uh, I, I read a lot of Sean. I have uh, Brene Brown's new book right now from the library, and I just, yeah, I'm a huge fan of of that, and um, so amazed that Winter Park pulled off. I think it's a very gorgeous and inspiring building. I can't yeah. wait to be on the ins go visit it on the inside. My mom went, but. Um, yeah, that looks well, incredible. Definitely get up there to take a look at it. It I is know. pretty awe-inspiring. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the, they put so much effort into making it a special place mm-hmm. for kids. And the entire second floor is reserved for kids. So that if you don't, if you're not escorted by a kid, you really can't be up there. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> but we'll get you there. But, uh, but uh, they have all kinds of things up there that, you know, libraries are pushing the envelope to what you do in a library. Oh, okay. Uh, Sabrina Bernard and her team are amazing in their vision, but we've got 3D printers for, Very cool. you know, you've got... Uh, studio places, you've got study mm. cubes, um, uh, we've got, you know, areas archiving some historical documents, all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But it's just really a cool space, and it was designed really, really intentionally uh, to be a special place for kids. And then they get to run across the bridge to the playground. And how how great is that? Yeah. You know? That playground is pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah I've taken really my my niece and nephews there many many times. Okay. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you for all the hard work that you're putting in with intentionality and foresight into being mayor of Winter Park, and hopefully, it's a good spot for you for now and for some years to come. And absolutely, it's a great and, place and to growing. Be. We have such a such a luxury. I feel like in Central Florida, I just feel one so at home here, and two. Obviously, Winter Park is so beautiful and Lake Virginia and just Rollins, I think it's got to be the most beautiful campus in the United States. Um, and it's the oldest college in Florida. It's the oldest college it in Florida. Oldest, it was the first college in the state of Florida. 
Rollins College? Rollins College. What? Absolutely. Okay. Rollins College was the first college in, in, uh, in all of the state of Florida. And so its roots go way, way, way back. Okay. Um, you know, the city was founded in 1882. Uh, a couple of years later, Rollins was founded. About the same time, the Chamber of Commerce was founded. And about the same time, the library was founded. So all of these things happened mm. in the late 18, you know, the mid to late 1880s, all around the wow. same time. And, um, and it's just an amazing place. It's taken from being the oldest college in the state mm-hmm. to being one of the most, well, arguably one of the best, maybe the best, well, mm-hmm. arguably the best MBA program in the state. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had so many friends. And you're really good too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. um, so I don't want to uh, go too far there, but uh, but you know they've managed to be historic, they've managed to be charming, and they've managed to be modern all at the same time. And I think it has been uh, it's a fantastic thing to see. And yeah, who doesn't want to go to a college that you know has a as a water ski team out in the backyard? Yeah, how great is that? It's it's phenomenal. It's yeah. pretty incredible. I did not grow up here, but my dad grew up in um, College Park. Oh, wow. So yeah. he went to Edgewater. Yeah. And, um, you know, he grew up around Lake Adair. And then he went to the predecessor of UCF. So he went to I was at Florida Technical mm-hmm. Uni- Uni- Institute or something right. like that. So he had gone Idea, there yeah. for a little bit. Um, but he had had... Had all and I moved down, of course, like I said in 2000. So I didn't grow up here in my youth, but he grew up in this in the whole in this whole area. He used to ride his horse up and down Colonial oh when it was a two way dirt road, <laughs> and then he would take uh, he would take um, yeah his horse around town. So in a different era, <laughs> no kidding. Yes, that is great. So you had you had yeah. uh, you had soulful roots to Orlando. Yeah. yeah, we we visited here some, and then my grandmother, my grandfather died. Uh, his dad uh, passed away before he was married, um, and then my grandmother lived in Bradenton um, for a while, and then she had lived in Lakeland at Carpenter's Home Estates for most of my growing up. And so uh, we would come down to Lakeland a lot and go visit her and then like sometimes Orlando as well, because like he still had a lot of connections here. Well, like I'll that. tell you, Central Florida as a region um, is just a wonderful place. I mean, and I would agree, you know, it's, it has the attractions. It has places of culture and heritage that, mm-hmm. You didn't, don't really know about yeah. until you get here. It's got a, a lifestyle that's an amazing place, and, um, and know, I think we've got affordability. Really engaged citizens that can make a difference. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to uh, someone that said, "You know, Central Florida is amazing because someone in Chicago or New York or LA, you know, they can be." Um, you know, their philanthropy isn't going to drive a big deal in L.A. I mean, you know, or San Francisco or Chicago or New York. Mm-hmm. But someone that has a really strong philanthropic heart can make a difference in in uh, Orlando, mm-hmm. in Orlando Park, in Central Florida. And um, I think it's true. I think it's you know, true. It's, yeah. Um, 
you get to feel like you can make a difference. And um, it's big enough to be important and small enough to be able to make a difference. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. Well, thank you for doing the work that you're doing. Well, Continuing. Thank you. <laughs> um, so we're going to move on to uh, another of my favorite topics, mm-hmm. which is the Enneagram, which I know we've kind of chatted a little bit about. Um, and so you recently retook the Enneagram. And I know that you're big on leadership and kind of like knowing who people are and how to lead them well and all those types of things. So there's nine numbers on the Enneagram. Uh, it's kind of like a roadmap into personality and kind of how we work and how we're built and our DNA and our life things that have happened to us and molded us and shaped us. And I can't prepare. You came prepared. <laughs> right. <laughs> wow. Many pages of typed out information. So you took it recently and, or you would kind of self-identify as a, um, well, I self-identified my test scores gave me three pretty high test scores in, uh, type one, three, and nine. And, but I probably self-identified as a a reformer. As a one. And, um, but my highest score was actually in the achiever side. Uh Um, but um, but I, I I probably see more of myself in the uh, the reformer, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, it sounds of, sounds like it. Yeah, mm-hmm. probably so. You know, kind of a mission driven mm-hmm. kind of a thing. And then I read all the you know the things about being perfectionist and the dangers thereof, and uh, you know how to know thyself. How do you feel like you showed up, kind of as you were digging into this a little bit? Um. I'm 62. I think I know a lot more about myself and uh, have moderated a lot of my imperfections over the last, you know, 62 years. <laughs> so I felt my mm-hmm. core show, shine through. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also felt like the, um, the warning signs have been, mm-hmm. have been seen and worked with for quite a while. Um, and it's, uh, it's interesting that I did this because um, um, my son and I are doing some things together now. And uh, one of the things I wish I had known when I was very, very young was to play to your strengths and know what your weaknesses are, but don't try to, don't try to perfect your, don't spend so much time on your weaknesses as you do on your strengths. Mm. But to be able but to be aware of them. Well, that's very, exactly right. The, the blind self, spot. The self-knowledge. <laughs> right. For that to work, you got to have the self-knowledge. Mm-hmm. And I think the Enneagram is a great way to have a self-knowledge about who you are and what mm. you... And, and you, I, I love it because it kind of puts a language around what you already know about yourself. And then once Sometimes, you be, I think yeah. sometimes it's also a good... Sometimes you see those things that you already knew. And then for me, it was also seeing some things that I was like, oh, I think that I probably should have. I mean, maybe I had known it in, in my head, but it was it, it gave me maybe a better awareness of maybe some of my blind spots. Exactly. Or some of the ways that I didn't know that I was so what, coming what, across. Uh, what you're, what you're uh, 
Mine. What's your number? My number. My number is the eight, and which eight. is the which challenger. Is the challenger. Yeah. Oh. As in like interview. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The challenger, and so I think it gave me um, a lot of perspective on that. Not everyone thinks the way that I do. Right. And not everyone communicates, and not everyone has the same re- reward system or the same value system that I do. And kind of as you mentioned. You know, I think one of the greatest gifts is being self-aware. So when we are in a space and we're in a room and like you said, meeting a lot of different people and interacting with them, understanding, you know, um, where they're coming from or like for a five, five is very information heavy and very information driven. We need the sevens that are the enthusiasts, the life of the party and people that make things happen and make things fun. And we need all of them, but we need to understand kind of maybe where their strengths lie and where maybe maybe where their blind spots lie, and so that we can give them extra grace yeah. and we can give ourselves extra I love grace. That word, giving each other extra grace. Mm-hmm. I think that's uh, the right word, and that's what you know. I had the I had the wonderful experience of going through working with two very large organizations, the Hyatt Corporation and CNL. And both of those organizations did a great job of personality testing. Okay. And actually encouraging that personality testing. And and um, what did they use mostly inside those um discs? The uh, Myers Briggs, the Enneagram, and then there's one other oh, so they were using the Enneagram. I think one at one episode, one time we used the oh, okay. But um that's very progressive. Yeah, I feel. Well, but but they were all both organizations were very progressive in um, hopefully tapping high potential people, but then making sure they've made investments in those people to succeed. Yeah. And what I remember when I was so I would have taken my first test, which is probably Myers Briggs when I was twenty six. What did, what did you test on the Myers Briggs? ISTJ. ISTJ. And okay. Occasionally, I've tested as an ESTJ, but right on the line. Sure. And so, I being introvert, he being extrovert, mm-hmm. which for the audience means that where do you get your energy? Uh, not so much not personality traits, or or, or or it's not so much personality. It's uh, First, right. Yeah. Uh, extroverts How do you fill draw up your energy bucket, from the crowd, yeah. and introverts expend the energy into the crowd. And um, but my point being was, it was a lot of it was self awareness. But the other big, the flip side of that coin is, it's like, oh my gosh, there are a lot of other people out there that are nothing like me, and it opens your eyes to tolerance and grace. Mm-hmm. Like you said, it's like, well, I may not exactly know I'm supposed to relate to a number five, but I know that they're not like me. Mm-hmm. And let's find about where we can find our overlaps. So I, that's cool. So you're a challenger type A. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I am going to go back and read more about it. It's been a long time. Since sure. I read it. But uh, a lot of truth. How have you seen kind of like understanding people's, I know that you're a big into leadership. So what are some of the things that you've seen that have worked well with leading a lot of different personality types? I'm going to use your word grace. Um, 
it's it's really what I have found good has worked well for me has been being willing to throw the straw man out there so that I take the punches instead of others. So it's kind of like the Marine thing, you know, I'm not taking you anywhere. I'm not willing to go. Mm -hmm. And that has worked well for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the second part is really just, just listening, Mm. you know, really just listening to, um, unless you're at a crisis moment when you've got to make a, make a decision like that and you've got to pull a trigger or do something instantaneously. Um, listening to people's reaction to whatever you've thrown on the table. Um, uh, the old adage, criticize in private, private and praise in public is a oh, big deal. My dad used to say that. And, um, um, but basically just having the time to listen mm-hmm. and, um, and I have found that that comes easier as I've gotten older. Fair enough. And you've seen there were a bigger range of people and you've seen uh, different experiences. Um, so, mm. but, uh, but I think, I think there's, um, you know, being willing to hear and to bring others along, mm. you know, and knowing about yourself, um, you know, I've always found that I function really well with a charismatic partner that likes being in that limelight, mm-hmm. likes raising the money, mm-hmm. likes being out there. Um, and we work great together. I found myself better in partnerships mm-hmm. uh, than in solo. Mm-hmm. So That makes sense. Yeah. Speaking of partnerships and relationships and things of that nature, have you seen the Enneagram kind of help you to, to navigate some of those things or understand other people better or yourself better? You know, I've, I've seen the principles of it help me know that they're different. And then you try to, I might not have the words at the tip of my tongue, mm-hmm. but I know that there's something there. And so you keep trying to, you know, peel back the onion or, or open the curtain and find out what, what they're trying to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and just know that, you know, sometimes it, there's just missing. And it takes time sometimes to be really, you know, have clarity between a couple of people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But it's good. So you would say that you're probably one is where you land on the. I would, what, so my achiever score was a 23 mm-hmm. and my uh, reformer score was a 21. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I see both of those in me. Um but based on the um, decisions that I've made in my life, I would mm. probably say I'm much more than the reformer. I would, I would um, obviously knowing you for a very brief time, but uh, the test I don't always tell people is not the definitive answer. I don't think <laughs> um, I tested as a seven, which is the enthusiast. So they want to be at every, my dad was, was definitely a most definitely a seven. Um, they're very, out everywhere they want to they want to experience everything they want to do all the things they want to go to every party right but a friend of mine who's a therapist he said oh no you're definitely an eight and i said oh no i definitely don't want to be an eight 
And so I kind of saw some things in there of the shadow work, you know, that we all have in that yeah. way. Um, and so I don't always say to 100% go. Sometimes it's the people in your life that know you or sometimes if you self-identify with it right. or sometimes it's like, oh, that's something that I don't want to be. And then you see that and you say, oh, that might be, you know, because sometimes, yeah. sometimes we don't want to look at the parts that are not right. as fun and not as right. um, flattering in that way. Um but as being a one, I feel like uh, the one has this brilliant way of seeing something that's already in the structure that's already in place, right? And saying, I, I work within this, I can see it, I know the structure, but I know how we can make it better, how we can make it more efficient, how we can run better, how we can have better everything exactly. inside something yeah. that's already existing. And the motivation is, I think, different than a three, which is incredible. And they are just... They want, they are very, uh, results driven, you know, for that sake of like, I will accomplish no matter what it is. Right. Um, but the, the one also have the, having the vision to be able to take people there to see, to see where they want to go. And then to say, here's the team that I can help to lead so we can all accomplish this thing to make something the best it could possibly right. be. Right. And I, that, that's pretty, and it's pretty accurate to where I am. I'm like, the, there's an old, uh, there's an old TV commercial. You know, we don't make things, we make things better. Mm -hmm. It was BASF. Right. Which no one was. But anyway, <laughs> but I always associated myself with that ad. It's like, um, I don't really make things. What I do is I make things better. Right. And I take good ideas. I integrate them. I change them. And, um, and that's, that's probably would be my motto. <laughs> right. <laughs> That sounds pretty solid for one. So that would yeah, kind of make that sense. That reinforces my yeah. self-identification, yeah. And then within the so Enneagram, I'm, we have like our wings, right? Kind of the numbers on each side of us um, that right. would that we kind of lean towards in that way. And the nine being the peacemaker, it sounds like you have a lot of potential for mm -hmm. seeing both sides of the story, inviting people to the table to have that conversation and being the mediator to say... Right. This is going to make us better if we have room for civil discourse, if we have room to air our grievances, if we right. have room. And for some people, it's hard to allow that space. And it's hard. The pa Even just the patience with people sometimes is easier <laughs> for some people and more challenging for some people. But it's a beautiful space when there is a talented moderator to say, we want to hear from everybody. Well, that's... Uh so one of the interesting things that occurred early, early in my career was um, when I was at George Power, I was in this uh, performance improvement group, and we actually got formal training in how to lead quality circles and problem-solving teams. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it was back when the Japanese, you know, Six Sigma and quality circle stuff was really, really big. And most people listening have no idea what that was, <laughs> but anyway, but it was a way to lead teams to find the problem, <clears throat> articulate the problem, and then find a solution. And uh, but it probably fits really. It, it, the reason it probably stuck with me was it fit really well with my my personality type. And I just happened to get the training along the way that right. uh, that helped do that. Yeah, so that was good. Well, I, you know, that's interesting. Well, I had forgotten about the wing part. Mm -hmm. So what's the other wing? So my other wing. So your other wing would be a two, which is the helper. 
And so helping people to like get to the place that they want to be, we would be nothing in the world without the helpers. The number twos, they support, you know, they're the undergirding. They are the people that show up. They are the people that execute the, the visionaries idea. And then they do a lot of the work that helps make that vision happen. So like we kind of have both of those. We kind of have different. Well, I'm looking at yours. You have the eight, the challenger, and the seven, the enthusiast. So I can see that. Yeah, Absolutely. I'm actually my wing is a nine. So I really? have, yeah, okay. I have a very big nine wing, which is also the peacemaker. So it's ah, like okay. welcoming people to the table and making sure everyone feels comfortable and sharing their stories and in, in being interested in in everybody's experience you know, in that way. So I, I relate in that sense of, uh, and the challenger just wants to do something different than the world. They want to lead their own, they want to blaze their own path. They just want to be <laughs> that's the entrepreneur. They, yeah, that's the entrepreneur. Yeah. yeah. So they, they're, their only intention is to, to shake things up. So, when you, so you do the, uh, the, uh, dinner parties mm-hmm. and, so those are pretty good character stra- traits to do that, mm-hmm. you know, bringing people together, making peace, but also sort of pushing them to do something. So um, do you like have a scorecard? Do you have a scorecard? Of who all ended up together or did relationships come, come through? Oh, um, not, not so specifically in that way. Yeah. Um, I have loved to see the things like we kind of have this tagline, of course, like you can sit with us and then um, you never know what's going to happen around the the dinner table. So it's kind of you show up and you you're with, you know, six or seven strangers Mm -hmm. if you bring a a plus one or not. But um, you just never know what's going to happen around the dinner table. So I don't have any pressure or the oil and the water (laughs) calm things down if needed. Yeah. Yeah, Thankfully that uh, a lot of, uh, discussion is very um, light and flowing and fun. Yeah. It's so much fun. Like our dinner free concept is just eight strangers around dinner table. One is the guest host. And so they're hosting people and making yeah. sure that the conversation is flowing. Um, and most of them are there. I mean, we've had dinners that have a very specific topic topic or agenda like affordable housing that we've had a crisis, you know, in Central Florida for, or, you know, parenting or tech or fashion or film. Um, so those have maybe a more dialed in conversation, but our dinner for eight is just like, you come, you share your story and Oh, it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, It's a great way to meet people in in your area and just like a really, and of course like delicious food and, and drinks in that way. But, um, yeah, it's inviting people to step out of their comfort zone a little bit, which I love inviting people to do things that maybe are a little bit different. So, cool. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You guys should, I know your wife has come, um, but we'll have you sometime, hopefully around a a dinner table sometime. uh, Yeah. My wife, she's, she's fantastic. She's an amazing networking person. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Lovely. Really amazing. Yes. Yeah. Do you know her number by any chance? You know, I didn't. I don't. Um, I'm guessing she's a type three or close to it. Sure. That makes sense. Her daughter uh, is a three. Oh, really? Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, that doesn't surprise me. 
Yeah. But I would say probably there, um, or uh, yeah, maybe a little bit of the challenger in there too, mm-hmm. but definitely motivated to achieve mm-hmm. and um, it, it, it's all good. Eights, threes, and ones can be very similar uh, um, yeah. because they all three can have vision okay. and they can all know where to go and how to get there okay. and then how to lead people there. And so they have three very different intentions. One is the reformers, so they just want to make sure that they're making things the best that they can. They can be very black and white, very professional, you know, very professionistic. Um, The threes just are motivated by um, I, whatever the hurdle is, it does not matter what it is. I will accomplish it. You set a goal. I'm going to smash it. Doesn't matter. Well, that would fit. Right. my wife was uh, the, the second year that IBM decided they would actually hire women to sell mainframe computers. My wife was in that sales class mm. and she ended up being top salesperson for IBM mainframe computers. Oof. You know, no surprise. Yeah. Wow. And, That's uh, incredible. So our daughter gets it naturally. Yes. And, and, the apple does and not fart. Her father too. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And then the eights, they're just, their whole uh, name of the game is just doing something different. So they just want to be different from what the rest of the world has already hmm. put out there. But they have the vision. They can also see kind of how to go and yeah. bring people along with that. So, But I'm going to ask her tonight. I, I think she did. I think she uh, did the test as well. Okay. That so would be a good thing. Yeah. That'd be interesting. Well, we have to know. When we went through our premarital, not sprout. Well, so we went through our counseling before we got married. Sure. And uh, well, we did learn. We learned we were great, a great fit with everything, and we both wanted to be in control. And so Ooh. it's funny we're talking about a little self knowledge. Uh huh. Um, it 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 works in uh, relationships too. Mm. You know. Absolutely. I feel like it's the most place that you need to have self awareness. And um, it's in a relationship. You know, I, I think uh, knowing what you are about and what your spouse mm-hmm. is about, I think is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And it lets you uh, um, understand what's going on. Both know. on the same team, working yeah. for the same team. Yeah. Yes, in different ways. So the, the final topic that we're going to talk about yeah. is actually one of my absolute favorites, which is rest. So how do we step back from the world, retreat, renew, play, discover, physically rest? How do we... Take a break. You know, the Sabbath means to stop working. And so what in your life would be some maybe practices that you have adopted to help you as an introvert take some time um, to rest? And I'm glad you said as an introvert, um, there's a uh, probably two or three things, you know, um, remind me to come back to the caveman thing. Okay. So I'll come back. To but uh, I do a walk every morning. I get up at, you know, 6.30, 6, 6.37, and I walk every morning and make myself a cup of coffee, and I'll walk, and I'll walk, you know, a mile and a half, two and a half miles. And what I find is it's time for me to clear my head for mm-hmm. all the demons to, you know, get out there, and then you sort through it, and you come up with, you know, an approach. Mm-hmm. And it's clarifying, and it's peaceful, and it's... Um, pretty uninterrupted and it's kind of like your own personal space. You know, you sort of listen to yourself um, and uh, 
There's an old Latin saying called Salvatur Ambulando. Yes, Salvatur Ambulando. If I was ever going to have a tattoo, that's what it would say. Okay. And it's a, it goes back, it's an old Latin thing that said, it is solved by walking. Ah. And uh, it has okay. two different meanings. But, but basically it means, you know, you, you hear about all of the Walden-esque folks and the guys in the Lake District in England. They would go out for their long walks, and that's how they mm. solve the world's problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I, for me, that's sort of how I start my day. Uh, so that's on the daily side. Um, you know, on the, um, I think the other side of it, it's, it's, um, um, I tend to like to go camping and hiking and backpacking. Being and, nature. And being in nature. Being in nature. And, um, you know, I, I went backpacking about a year ago with my son out to the Crazies, which is a mountain range up in Montana. Oh. And, uh, but I like doing that, and that's, uh, that's calm. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that's part of what I like. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, um, I have found myself listening to more classical music. Um, I've actually, since my retirement, I've actually started reading a little more poetry. And my, uh, I, was introduced to Mary Oliver's uh, mm. collection called Devotions. Mm-hmm. And it's a fantastic uh, volume um, and it's very calming mm. and it's very uh, insightful. Um, and, uh, you know, so for those of us introverts, we just got to escape to our cave every now and then. <laughs> um, and uh, which I think is works for me for just about everything. Um, but the one thing that I have found in relationships is that you can't just go off to your cave and, you know, mm. you really need to um, be present, you know, work through things. Yeah. And uh, my wife and I do a lot of that. Well, we don't do a lot of it, but when we need to, we, we do it. We do it well. Mm-hmm. So, but, uh, but, you know, like most introverts, you want to find your little, your space you want to you want to go somewhere, and uh, but that's kind of where I go. Yeah. If you could have twenty four hours of your dream perfect day off, it could be here, it could be anywhere. Money's of no object. If you could just have a twenty four hours of your perfect day of rest, what would that look like for you? Um, I'd probably choose a, a day at the beach with all my kids. Mm. Not bothering me, but around me. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, I think uh, um, that, 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 that would be, be it. Yeah. yeah. Do you have a perfect beach or a beach that you have favored? Well, can't, I can't tell you that. That's, that's oh, right. <laughs> Nowhere to uh, find Kimberly, you. <laughs> Kimberly does. No. Um, so uh, uh, my wife and I have a great spot over in uh, – that I really, you know, when you remarry, you kind of inherit a lot of really good things. One of the things that I inherited um, was uh, her favorite spot over in Cocoa Beach. Uh-huh. And it's a little tiny, um, old, old Florida motel. And uh, that's that's a quiet place. All right. Yeah. 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 That sounds wonderful. I'm so thankful to not be landlocked in the greater sense. You know, oh, just know. being able to get to the ocean. Right, you know, in under an hour is it's a, a it's, huge. Well, that and watching rockets 
go up in the sky. <laughs> That's incredible. It's, uh, uh, yeah. You know, in my, so uh, in the 60s, you know, we watched the lunar shots and the men landing sure. on the moon and all that kind of thing. And, and so as a, you know, seven or eight year old boy watching the lunar landing, it was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be an astronaut. <laughs> you know, and then there was this long period of nothing, you know, and what an exciting time, you know, to see this whole space thing come back alive mm -hmm. and uh, and then to be in central florida in the middle of it yeah is, we have uh, access to it is uh, it's, it's amazing it is pretty amazing it's pretty inspiring yeah speaking of inspiring do you have any mo or mantra that you try to live your life by Can you share hmm. with us yeah this is uh um this is actually from a Mary Oliver poem, and it's the uh, title of one of her poems, um, um, The Last Words of Buddha. And it says, make of yourself a light. Mm. Very make, succinct. Make of yourself a light. And profound. And uh, if you want to read the poem, it's uh, The Last Words of Buddha and Mary Oliver. Beautiful. Thank you so much for spending some time with me. Well, thank you so much. Yes, this is exciting. Of course. Thank you. This has been a real pleasure and I've enjoyed um, enjoyed this therapy session. <laughs> <laughs> therapy and scotch. If people so were to yes, if people were to find you on the online worlds and or social media and or like what you're doing with um, and being mayor of uh, Winter Park, how would people find keep up with you? Um, we have a um, uh, a fill for Winter Park and a mayorfill.com um, email address or website. Mm -hmm. uh, we also are on social media, and I think it's under mayorfill.com. Okay. But, uh, you think? I think. Right. Um, this is where others do better than I. Fair enough. Yeah. Know your strengths. Play to your strengths. Yeah, that's Absolutely. right. That's right. Anyway. Well, Phil, thank you so much. Until the next time. Great. Well, Ciao. Good luck to you. Thank you. Thank Bye -bye. you. Thank you a million times over for listening to Cocktails and Conversation Podcast. I hope you have enjoyed all of it. If you have, would you do me a huge favor and rate, comment, and subscribe for more Cocktails and Conversations? 